0: So this is another episode uh, in My Life, My Practice with Margot McLaughlin, and this is a particularly interesting type of practice. Margot is a storyteller, a Buddhist storyteller, uh, specializing in Jatakas and some of the commentarial stories as well, Buddhist legends. And... Margot came to my attention some years ago when uh, she told a story, I think it was in Victoria, at the Victoria uh, Meditation Group. Maybe I was teaching it or something, and I heard you. Uh, Anyway, it's quite remarkable. I was astonished that there is... First of all, I have not experienced a Jataka storyteller in Asia I heard I heard them recorded and so forth, but not live. And then I heard you tell these Jataka stories, and they were just so remarkably well done. And I thought, how does this anomaly, how does this... How, where does this person come from? How does this happen? <laughs> On the west coast of Vancouver, Vancouver Island, actually. How does this... Canadian woman (laughs) tell Jataka stories so so with such grace and skill. How does this happen? So um, I brought Margot here to tell some stories and so that we could video them. You you told I think four stories while you were here. What are the titles of those stories?
1: The first one is Ka Ka Jataka, the Crow Birth, which is Jataka. I think it's number one forty in the collected seven volumes mm-hmm. of the Jataka Tales. Uh, the second one is Kurunga Miga Jataka, the Antelope Birth. Mm-hmm. So each title refers to probably to the particular form that the Bodhisatta, the Buddha-to-be, incarnated Mm. into in that birth. And the third one is chitta Jataka, which is the name of the two main characters in the story. It's the story of the Buddha and his cousin, Ananda, who take birth as outcasts, and that's Jataka number 498. Mm. And Mm. the fourth story is one of the Buddhist legends, It's called The Legend of the Weaver's Daughter. And it, as you mentioned, it's a commentarial story referring to a particular verse in the Dhammapada. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, these these form the basis of these stories, and each story is very, very moving, uh, very instructive as well. Uh, I'll leave it. The audience can watch the, uh, the videos themselves and listen to the stories for their impact. Let's just talk a little bit about your life. How does, how does a, a woman on the west coast of Canada end up reciting Buddhist uh, folk tales? How does this happen?
1: <laughs> well, I think I have always had an intuition about what draws me. Yes. And after being drawn to Buddhist practice... I had the experience of sitting a retreat with a teacher who told the Jataka tales, Mm -hmm. and that was Steve Smith. And he told them in a beautiful animated style. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, maybe a couple of years later, I was asked to tell stories at a summer festival in Comox on Vancouver Mm -hmm. Island. And I thought, well, if I'm going to tell stories, and I was asked to tell them in French, actually, oh. I want to translate some of the Jataka tales into French so that I can tell them in French. And uh, so a friend sent me a collection of retellings by an American storyteller, Rafe Martin. And, and so I translated them into French and I, I began telling them at this festival. And it was really quite a remarkable experience of telling and feeling the congruity, the absolute rightness of what I was doing. And it seemed as I was telling, and actually I was telling a bilingual version, a little bit of French, some English, back and forth, it seemed like I couldn't miss a word. There was such a degree of concentration and focus and it was really the beginning of uh, my experience as a storyteller and my particular interest in telling these stories.:
0: So you are bilingual, you're fluent in French and English. Any other languages?:
1: I speak some German,
0: but not uh-huh. <laughs> And you these translations are done from the Pali by you. so you somewhere <laughs> you've gone off and learned you learned yourself some Pali) <laughs> How did that
1: happen? Well, I was uh, serving as a cook at the retreat center at Insight Meditation Society in Barrie. Mm-hmm. And staff had the opportunity to attend any courses they wanted at the Barrie Center for Buddhist Studies. And there was a, a weekend given by Andrew Olensky on Pali, mm-hmm. Introduction to the Pali Language. So I attended and I was just in awe that there could be a language that was entirely Buddhist in its nature. I mean, it was every word in the Pali English dictionary can be traced to some part of the Pali canon or the commentarial literature. So I got very interested in Pali, and at the end of my time as a cook, I was a scholar-in-residence for a few weeks and began translating my first Chataka tale.
0: <laughs> so you just picked the... What year was that?
1: That would have been uh, 1998.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's... a uh, Now that's 20 years ago, so mm-hmm. you've been... Um absorbing Pali, translating them into different stories ever since. It's, it's all very unusual also for Buddhist practitioners in the West to to pick up Pali as well. So you're an unusual person. Uh, you're a storyteller, and you were telling me that you also were interested in writing. So the two forms, the written form and the oral delivery are part of your interests, and so you're just basically a storyteller, a story factory, a story machine, aren't you? <laughs> um, I, you were telling me about this your first influence, this uh, French teacher in uh, what it was a bilingual, it was a it, French immersion school or a bilingual immersion school.
1: Actually, Vancouver? it was um, a precursor of the French immersion schools. It was. Uh York House, a private girls' school that was introducing a bilingual, bicultural program. Mm -hmm. And they hired teachers from Quebec and from France. And our teacher, Maggie Duchesne, was from a small village north of Paris. And she was an adventurer. She'd come Mm -hmm. out to Canada and found this job. And she had a very unorthodox style of teaching. She really believed in adventure. Well, imagination as a form of adventure, but also taking us out, taking us into the city. And we accompanied her on the bus to the downtown East Side. We served at a mission for homeless men. We visited junk stores. We went to wild urban parks. And we had adventures. And uh, I think that was really a formative influence in my life.
0: And she told stories.
1: And she told stories. And she had really the gift of telling improvised stories. It was almost as if she could see in the faces of her listening audience what the story needed next. And and all kinds of fantastical things would happen. But she also based her stories on her own experience of growing up in France during the Second World War. So stories of really camaraderie and justice and overcoming oppression
0: hmm yeah very very interesting That really grabbed your imagination and the moral dimension of these things and so did you when did you start telling stories did you start telling stories before you were introduced to the Jataka stories or was that the kind of the impetus for beginning to actually tell stories
1: well, I had nephews and a niece, mm-hmm. so I definitely told them stories mm-hmm. and I think i I might have been telling stories before then it's interesting to kind of trace it I'm not sure I think I was I was telling stories but in informal
0: ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so let's say from uh, for the last 20 years uh, where and where do you tell these stories these uh, Buddhist stories
1: well I after I was as a working as a cook serving as a cook at the retreat center I went to the divinity school at Harvard
0: uh-huh. <laughs> now this is interesting let's not <laughs> skip over this so you went from being serving uh, now this is a part of of uh, Buddhist culture as well uh, stewards um, volunteer to uh, do the various necessary support structures as med- for meditation retreats. It happens in monasteries all the time. Uh, at Birkin here we have six stewards, including the video steward who is videoing this. And uh, so these people are from all walks of life and they volunteer to assist in the background. And so you were volunteering to assist uh, in the kitchen there. And you went from there to the Harvard Divinity School, which is, I guess, uh, Barry, Massachusetts. It's not that far from Mm -hmm. Boston, where Harvard is. Mm -hmm. So you went to the Harvard Divinity School to do what?
1: Well, initially, it was with a very clear focus on studying the Buddhist texts and learning Sanskrit and Pali in a formal setting. And then I found the pace of study and the cerebral aspect of graduate school not completely my cup of tea. (laughs) And I thought, all right, I want to do a chaplaincy. I want to do a degree in divinity, which was required that one take a practicum and do work in a hospital setting or in another setting Mm -hmm. and I thought about stories as ministry Mm -hmm. so really storytelling as a form of ministry and so I switched to the divinity program and had an opportunity to be an interfaith chaplain at Dana-Farber at the Cancer Institute in Boston where I actually led some storytelling series for patients and staff Mm -hmm. and uh but meanwhile, I was also studying Sanskrit and Pali and translating more stories. And at Harvard, I had the opportunity to tell them in uh, you know, different settings. But also, I was invited to return to the retreat center in Barrie and perform during integration week. Mm-hmm. So this is the last week before people come out of silence after six weeks or three months of practice. <laughs> so it's a very unusual audience
0: <laughs>
1: because they are so receptive. Yes, They haven't watched TV or mm. seen a movie or even listened to music or read a book or a magazine. Their primary entertainment is reading the notice board. <laughs> yes. So I would, for several years, go out during Intercreation Week and to tell the Jataka tales there, and it, it was just remarkable.
0: And you came back to Vancouver, Victoria, and have continued telling the stories with various in various retreats and various uh, venues. <clears throat> and that's where I heard. Uh, now, do you remember where? How I heard you the first time? Where did I hear you? Well, it was right here at Right Birkin. here.
1: It was New Year's <coughs> Eve, mm-hmm. and there was a bonfire outside, uh-huh. and uh, another retreatant from Seattle mm-hmm. had heard me telling in Seattle. Mm-hmm. She mentioned to you that I was a storyteller, and you invited me to tell some stories uh, as part of the New Year's Eve festivities here at Birkin.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember that. Uh, and then, so it's been on my mind ever since to get Margot here and video her now that we have this uh, collection of, of videos and also a collection of my life, my practice to introduce people to the, the spectrum of lay practitioners and monastic practitioners in the West. How, how large... The diversity here, and so this is something that is, you know, we've done mindfulness to death. We've done all of these retreats, loving kindness retreats. There's other dimensions which uh, are familiar in Asia. So yesterday we had a group of 24 Sri Lankans here, including kids, and I asked Margot to tell uh, a Jataka story and. Most of those, especially the adults, have heard Jataka stories as they were growing up in Asia. So it's a part of the culture there. It's like uh, Bible stories or something from here. All of English literature is really influenced by the stories from the Bible. And in Asia, these Jataka stories are just pervasive. They're floating around and influencing everything. So I wanted to introduce a larger audience to this this aspect of life and for some it may be riveting and very a great way to learn as well because these stories are very very moving and we'll you will see uh margo telling some stories <clears throat> and uh feel the impact of, of the the lessons behind them so <clears throat> yeah i had wanted to uh before we did the video thing i wanted to take you on tour and we were going to it's kind of like a show it really is a show and in asia the performers they will perform these jataka tales on stage and sometimes even the monks will be part of it playing various roles in the in the jataka tales so it's really something to to find this in in western culture and i'm really trying to uh, promote this as as another large aspect of uh, uh the approach to Dhamma. So just tell us about the four, the four uh, tales that you're going to, that will be uh, on uh, on these videos.
1: Well, the first one is uh, the crow story, Mm -hmm. the crow birth. And I wrote a commentary about this for the Barry Center's journal. Mm-hmm. But this story fascinates me because it represents the intersection of different, comma of different people's lives and how our actions, we don't know actually what result they will have. Mm-hmm. So there's so many uh, wonderful things to unpack in that story. Mm-hmm. So, And also, I think it's so interesting that the Buddha, who in his, you know, the story of the Buddha's life, he is prince of the Sakyan clan. Mm-hmm. So he comes from a position of privilege. And in this story, he is born as the king of the crows. So this is a bird that scavenges mm-hmm. on carrion. And he lives in a forest cemetery. So there are all these ways in which the story is subverting our ideas of who should be a teacher who can offer us wisdom yeah
0: the uh, particular use of animals in these uh, stories is is interesting Uh, this is something that uh, took a while in the west to get the there's a very distinct separation between humans and animals in the West, and that has to do with Christianity. Uh, In Buddhism, the idea that you can take rebirth as an animal and, and an animal can take rebirth as a human, and there's a kind of an evolutionary interflow between them. And that the characteristics, that animals display characteristics which are also found in humans, this is really not discovered up until Darwin, you know, He's trying to make the point that you know uh, that you are evolved out of the animals, and that they share some of these. uh, You share with them some of these capacities. You see this in the Jataka stories. They're using animals as now it's it's certainly a story. It's uh, the the crows are talking very uh, intelligently to each other, expressing sophisticated ideas and so forth. But it also has an influence on just uh non-harm towards animals like appreciation that these are intelligent beings and they have their their ways mm-hmm. and we need to appreciate that that's only come so in the west coast this discovery of the intelligence of the killer whale or the orca mm-hmm. is a very recent thing it's only 40 years old mm-hmm. before that they were just hunted as just kind of dangerous animals now we realize they have whole family structures and that they live a long time they're intelligent responsive so we're emerging out of a dark age into this and these jataka tales are very very interesting for this the appreciation of the higher sensitivities of these animals as well um and the next the the story about the deer and tell it tell a little bit about that one the
1: the actually it's an antelope Um, mm -hmm. So this is a story of friendship, Mm -hmm. and I've told this story, leaving out sometimes the Buddhist context, Mm -hmm. I've told this story many, many places, in schools, Mm -hmm. I've told it in Mississippi, Mm -hmm. and it really continues to move me as a story because there are so many aspects of friendship that are revealed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And one particular aspect is the way a friend sees you, and knows who you are and invites your skills and your your talents into the light. And so the antelope is trapped and his two friends, the woodpecker and the turtle, do their best to rescue him. But the woodpecker says to the turtle, you have a beak. Use your beak. Mm-hmm. And then... I will use my wings. I will try to stop the hunter if I can. So the three friends work together. And in recent years, I've really emphasized the diversity aspect, that they, they don't walk the same, they don't talk the same, they don't look the same, but they were friends. Mm -hmm. And they respected and admired each other, and they were loyal. And often when I tell the story to children, I'll say, well, what makes a good friend? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, oh, a friend is someone you can trust. A yeah. friend helps you if you fall down. Right. Yeah. So That is,
0: is, is protective of your life, your very life. And mm-hmm. that is the Buddhist definition of friendship. And uh, you have a story which is from the Buddhist legends about a, it's a very, very good story, a, a 16-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So tell it. Tell us just summarize that story a little bit.
1: Well, this story I think of as inspiring us to consider how our practice can be guided by a resolve, a clear resolve. So this young woman, she she's returning from her father's workshop. She's the daughter of a weaver, so she has duties to fulfill to help her father in his profession. And some friends invite her to come and hear the Buddha. Mm-hmm. And the Buddha has arrived near the town where she lives, and he will be there in residence for a few months. And her friends invite her to come and hear the Buddha give a teaching. And so she agrees. And it happens that that day he's giving a teaching on mindfulness of death. So she listens with great attentiveness. And she really takes in his instructions. Life is uncertain. Death is certain. Practice and develop this mindfulness of death. And of all the people who are sitting there, all different professions, lay people, householders, she makes the resolve that she will take this teaching to heart and she will apply it in her own life. And so as I tell the story, I explore the rhythm of her practice and the ways that she found to remember and call to mind, life is uncertain, death is certain. So in a sense, that's that's the story. It's really about her daily life and her practice and the transformation of her heart and mind and how becoming aware of On a very day-to-day basis, of the truth of that uncertainty brings up a great deal of compassion in her for everyone she meets.
0: It's a great story for uh, teenagers as well, because she's 16. The story goes on for about three years of her life. She actually dies at 19, I think, if I calculated right. But uh, it's never too early to have profound spiritual understandings. Mm Mm-hmm. And you told me a little story about you being 17 and going on a, uh, a camp, a sort of a outward-bound thing for a month, and, and part of it was three days alone in the wilderness. Very profound. And when you're 17 or 16 or whatever, these events are incredibly transformative, can carry through your life. And quite often, people who hear the hear these things or experience these things as a teenager, take them much more seriously and integrate this truth much better than people later on as adults and in that story you see the adults kind of wandering off and forgetting this very profound lesson about the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death and the, the young woman, what's her name?
1: She actually, which is quite interesting, she has never given a name. Ah,
0: she's she has no name. So and that's why I couldn't remember her name.
1: So when her friends call out to her, they're actually calling out Weaver's daughter. Ah. Uh, weaver's
0: weaver's pa- daughter.
1: Yeah. So she, And it's so interesting that she is anonymous. Uh,
0: yeah, anonymous. it's a beautiful story. Have you told that to teenagers? <laughs>
1: uh, I did. I told it at the Young Adult Retreat. At in- Insight Meditation Society. Yeah. And one young man afterwards, he said to me, that was amazing. Your presentation was virtually flawless.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're a little bit preoccupied with getting a good mark at school as well, aren't they? Um, yeah, that's a very moving story. Um,
1: and I know that it precipitated some good conversation
0: yeah. in the groups at that retreat. Uh, yeah. I'm going to recommend it for... I have social workers who work with uh, teens, mm-hmm. and they're always asking me for resources for teaching. And a, I, I have a few stories from that, but I'm going to recommend that story for them as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the fourth story is what?
1: So the fourth story is Chittasambhuta Jataka, and this is the story... I translated it for my master's thesis Mm -hmm. translated it commented on it and performed it in the chapel at the Harvard Divinity School with musical accompaniment Uh, a friend was playing a South Indian drum Mm -hmm. the Madanga so this story is again very subversive the Buddha to be the Bodhisatta and his cousin are born as outcasts so the lowest of the low in the caste system and they are acrobats and they dare to perform at the city gates and because two young noble women see them, there a whole series of events unfold which leads them to abandon their home, disguise themselves as Brahmin youth and Eventually, they die and are reborn. And in the course of the story, they are reborn four times. <laughs> so it's an interesting story because it's one of the few Jataka tales that actually show different lives within a story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also very touching as a, a compassionate story about the Chandalas, the, uh, the lowest caste uh, in India. And it's a good one for people who are in a disadvantaged condition, and it happens all over the world that certain people end up on the bottom of the pile. And the Bodhisattva is born as an outcast. The Buddha-to-be and his great attendant Ananda are born as outcasts, and they have to deal with that harsh and discriminatory Language and so forth. So it's a beautiful story, also for for identifi- identification uh, with this. It's written along. It's the story is is maybe twenty five hundred years old. So it's remarkable because in India at the time there was not, and right up till the present, there is very virtually no sympathy for the uh, the underdog, the lowest caste. But I think a lot of people can uh, draw two. Uh, lessons from it. One is about friendship and uh, why do we find ourselves with certain people? Is this the first life for this friendship? And secondly, this uh, what it's like to be beneath the underdog and trying to uh, work your way up. So those are the uh, four tales that Margot will tell in the uh, other videos, and I hope that the audience Uh, Finds them as fascinating as I do, and and part of the fascination is Margot herself. How this happens? There's a jataka story in in Margot. I think I'm going to have to create some stories about previous lives of Margot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Although I'm a bit of a strange one as well. What am I? I'm a Buddhist monk in Canada in a forest monastery. So uh, we're a couple of strange. creatures that have arisen. Uh, Maybe we have long Jettica's story behind us as well. So I encourage you all to to watch these videos and uh, appreciate these incredible stories.